Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Talk Recorded live. Hello, my speaker today is Steve Snell, and we're going to be talking about e-collar training. So, Steve, can you tell my listeners something about yourself? Uh, I'm, uh, I'm the owner or partner of, uh, of a company called Gundog Supply. We've been in the hunting dog business going on 45 years now. Uh, my parents started the company, and uh, my brother and I now run it. And uh, mainly just in the dog supply business, uh, we, we focus on hunting dogs, but we, we deal with an enormous amount of, uh, of, of pets and uh, a lot of the other disciplines. And uh, we tend to focus on uh, high-quality gear and uh, e-collars and, and GPS tracking are a, are a big part of our business. Yeah, um, it looks like you've probably trained a lot of dogs over the years. Do you have any estimate of how many dogs you think you've trained? You know, probably 50 or 60 personal dogs. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got 22 right now. Wow. So, I'm impressed. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so. don't be. <laughs> it's, it's so I guess, you know, the basic definition, what is an e-collar? Uh, well, you know, a, a remote training collar um, is, is referred to, you know, as an e-collar. It's a, it's a, it's a handheld device that allows you to send a signal to the collar and create a stimulation. Um, and I, I say stimulation because there's lots of different things that you can do with it. Um, most people think of a, an e-collar as being electrical stimulation. Um, you know, in the past we referred to them as shock collars. But modern collars are a little different from that. Um, not that they still won't do that. We do use electrical stimulation. Um, but it's a real variable intensity. And uh, we use it to to teach a number of things, uh, and it can be used in a lot of different ways. Um, and so uh, it, it, it really just depends on what you're trying to do as far as, as, far as how you go about using it. Mm-hmm. So the old um, thing where people say a shock collar, that's cool. I would never shock your dog. That's really kind of yeah. an outmoded thing. You know, we, mm-hmm. we don't hear a lot of that. Um, mm-hmm. We'll get it every once in a while. Um, my personal stance has always been on, on training collars. Uh, e-collars are tools. Um, they, are, they are tools that are designed to be used in a certain way. Uh, there's nothing cruel about them um, in the same way that, that, uh, that a hammer is designed to, you know, to, to, to build. Uh, you can you know, take two pieces of wood and some nails and you can attach it together with a hammer. You can also take that hammer and you can hit somebody in the head with it. And that would be a, a misuse of the tool. Um, using e-collars in a, in a cruel or, you know, in a, in a cruel way would be a misuse of the tool. Um, and so, uh, you know, I, I've always kind of felt like they've had a bad reputation from their, their original upcoming um, in that, that the original collars that we used, I remember the first one that my father had, I wasn't allowed near it or, or to touch it. Um, they were, 
they were so strong at the time that they really only had one use, and that was really stopping dogs from from uh, certain misbehaviors. We actually got into them uh, stopping dogs from running deer, mm-hmm. but the stimulation levels were very intense and were didn't have a lot of variability to them, and you had to be really careful how you used them. And so, mm-hmm. um, you know, very primitive compared to what we have today. So um, how long how long have they been around? Um. Late 40s, early 50s um, mm-hmm. were, were the first units. Um, the real serious stuff, as far as as far as you know, the the quality and dependable units really came around in the 50s. Um, mm-hmm. But you didn't really see a lot. Um, the first training collar that I got was probably oh mid 80s. I was probably 15 or 16 um, before they had something that was that was that that I considered to be a you know training device. Um, where they had what's called variable intensity. And basically what that means is that variable intensity allows you to raise and lower the stimulation uh, from the transmitter. Mm-hmm. And we didn't start seeing that until about the mid-'80s. Um, and it got by by the uh, mid to late-'90s, we got, you know, really, uh, really sophisticated units. Um, and in the last, last 15 uh, to 20 years, uh, we've had the ability to actually do a lot with training collars because of the because of the variable intensity. Yeah, because there's so many models and brands out yeah. there, and if somebody was thinking, okay, I'm interested in purchasing an e-collar, what are some features and considerations that would help the handler choose the right one? Well, usually I'm going to look at the handler first. I'm not going to. We're not going to talk about all of that. We're going to talk about you and we're going to see what you're doing and what your goals are, and what you're trying to accomplish. Um, you know, that, that's the biggest thing. Um, the hardest thing when you're buying a training collar is to, is to know um, what kind of stimulation levels your dog requires. Um, and that, that's mm-hmm. one of those things that uh, without, without working with a dog, it's impossible to, you know, to, mm-hmm. to know that. Um, every dog is different and you'll get different reactions at different levels with different dogs. Um, and there's no there's no way to, to 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 gauge that. So I tend to recommend certain collars that have wide stimulation choices, so that you'll be able to start low and find that right you know stimulation level for your dog, um, and and not have not it be and, and have it where it's not too powerful or it's not powerful enough on the top end. Um, and so it varies. So we generally have uh, you know four or five collars that we that we're going to recommend to a lot of folks. Um, mainly because they're 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 incredibly versatile collars and they're going to work with the majority of the dogs out there. Where we still have a few, they're not quite as common, but we still have a few systems um, that that I call them trash breaking systems. Mm-hmm. They they're, have less stimulation choices, um, but they're really designed for stopping you know incredibly unwanted behavior, uh, chasing off game, chasing cars. Um, you know that that type of thing. They're not really used for what I would classify as a training collar. They're more used in a you know, in a, in a way to stop a dog from from an unwanted behavior. Um, okay. You can take oh. a training collar. You can use it to stop unwanted behavior, but you can't take a, a problem solving collar that's only problem solving and generally trained with it. It generally doesn't have enough variability in the intensity. So we have, you know, with every major brand, um, we've got one or two collars. You know, that that are the collars that we go. Well, this is going to work for the majority of the folks in this situation. Yeah, I mean, I know one thing I like on your. If somebody goes to your website, is you've actually for every, just about everything on there. You have a, a video that 
give your review of what you like, what you don't like, what it might be good for, what it would be might not be so good for. So we somebody spent, put. Oh, go ahead. Well, we we spend an enormous amount of time trying to to help the uh, help help with the decision making process, mm-hmm. and uh, so some, it's focus for us. Yeah. So if somebody's getting started, um, how should the collar fit on their dog? Um, you want it to be the, the important thing is you've got to have contact with the with the with the probes. Generally, if somebody is, uh, we generally see folks not putting the collars on snug enough. Um, it's uh, you don't want it to be moving around. You want it tight enough that it stays in one spot. I generally like, and if you feel on a dog's neck, you can you can see it. There's a space in between their esophagus, you know, kind of on the side. So I don't put them, you know, uh, at at at, at the bottom of the neck, I tend to offset mine just a little bit. There's just a little um, spot in there, but I want it tight enough that it's not going to move around. Um, most of the collars that we sell have uh, have what we call uh, regular probes, and then they, some of them come with long probes. And uh, the longer probes are designed for dogs with heavier coats. And so, kind of depending on what you have, you have to uh, you have to gauge, make sure that you're getting good skin contact. And should you put the the collar on your dog for a while before you, you start using any stimulation with it? And as so, general, how... well, I prefer mm-hmm. to do that. Um, what I don't like to do. Most dogs are smart enough. If you you know you take them out and you strap collar on them and you start giving them stimulation immediately, you're going to get you know they're going to know. Okay, well here's what's going on. Um, and so generally, I like to to, to take some time and get the dog used to wearing the collar, um, you know, in the training situation. You know, and most dogs actually, you know, they, they respond really positive to their collars because the collar means we're getting to go do something fun. You know, that's the mm-hmm. biggest thing about a, a, a training collar, a remote collar, is that, that it gives you the ability to do things with your dogs in situations where, you know, you, you would have to have a dog, you know, on a leash, and mm-hmm. so, you know, it allows them an enormous amount of freedom. Most of my dogs, well, everybody I've got right now, you know, they, they have a very positive association with the training collar. Mm-hmm. And so I like to start them out. I mean, it, a lot of it depends on what you're doing. Um, but I'll generally, when my dogs get big enough uh, to start wearing them, usually in the 12 to 14 weeks, in a range, we'll go ahead and start putting a collar on them. We won't start using the collar on them until the four to five month range. Um, but I, I like to, you know, let them wear it for, you know, several weeks before we start introducing stimulation. So that would be the age where it's it's probably safe to begin using an e-collar is around um, yeah, four to five months. You kind of have to be you have to be careful. Um, I usually will say four to six months, um, but mm-hmm. it really it really depends on on the dog's development and it depends on how much work that you put in. Um, to the dog. So it's, it's got more to do with what does this dog understand and are we ready to add the collar in. Um, we tend to add collars in pretty early um, compared to a lot of folks. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of folks will do their complete training and then they'll overlay the collar you know, on that. And we tend to start, you know, a little earlier and we, we incorporate the collar in pretty early, you know, in, in all, you know, in all the situations. But it's really more of a, you know, I want this dog to start understanding some basic concepts and, and, and then we then we add the collar in. Mm-hmm. Um, and that so, starts really with a puppy, you know, we're going to start adding those basic concepts on day one. Um, I actually like the breeder to do a lot of it personally, but, you know, we're going to go ahead and start training. You know, you're training that dog every time you touch him. Every interaction mm-hmm. that you have with a dog is training. Uh, now, you might not be training them what you want to train them, but you're training them. 
And so they're learning with every interaction. And so we go ahead and incorporate the collar in on the early side because of that. You know, it's it's a it's 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 part of the routine. Okay. Um, so how would you pick the you put the collar on your dog and you say, okay, I think the dog is ready to try this out. How would you pick the correct stimulation? And I, you, know, you can tell us verbally, but I, but um, sure. I just wanted to add for any listeners. There's some good videos out there, like the one I got from your company by Robin McFarlane, and I say a, a video is worth a thousand words. So the, how do you pick the right great. stimulation? Yeah, well, Robin, we started working with Robin a couple of years ago, um, mainly because there was a lack of of material on how to do certain things, and, and find the mm-hmm. stimulation level was, was one thing. And we, uh, The majority of the systems that we sell, if they're classified by us as a um, – as a training system, then they're going to have this video that comes along with it. And it's a it's a basic introduction to how to do these things. Um, find the stimulation level. Typically, we're looking for a real, just a real light reaction from the dog. We're not looking for him to jump or holler or uh, act really, you know, we're not looking for this overreaction. We're just kind of looking for these real subtle clues as far as we're, uh, we're, we're looking. We're watching their eyes. We're watching their ears. We're watching their head. Um, and we want a stimulation level that's low enough that they can feel it, but it's not enough to to cause any sort of overreaction. And so generally with any collar, you're going to take a dog out into an area um, where they're moving around, um, still have them on the leash, but they're, they're moving around, and we're going to start introducing uh, low levels, and, and we're, going to, we're going to do it several times on that level before we increase and watch to see if we can gauge a reaction from the dog. Um, and then, then you're going to find, you'll find a base level where the dog will kick his ears up a little bit or he'll turn his head or he'll open his mouth or he'll blink his eyes. Um, you'll, you'll see, you know, some reactions. And, and once you find that, that's your base level as far as this dog, you know, uh, will respond to that level. And then you work up from there. Um, stimulation levels will change depending on situations. And so you've got to get a feel for your dog and, and understand, you know, where he's going to respond uh, in what situation. Um, most dogs, as, they're, as, they're, as the, the drive increases, the excitement level increases, you're typically going to have to raise the stimulation level. And so you've got to learn your dog and, and, and know in, in this situation where he's going to require this level in this situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I um, noticed that some callers say, okay, you can set it to traditional mode versus linear mode. Um, What's the difference? Is there any reason well, to choose one? Yeah. That's actually an alpha-based uh, uh, stimulation term, okay. um, which I know you're using the alpha. Um, mm-hmm. When uh, when Garmin bought Tritronics, um, Tritronics had a, um, a a stimulation level where um, you can see it in some of their collars right now. I use the Pro 550, and it's a seven-level collar but it has low, medium, and high on each number. Mm-hmm. And so, so I, was, I just got through running a couple of dogs, and I was on level two, but I was using the low stimulation for that. So, so each number, so it, it's not a seven-level collar. It's really a 21-level collar because there's seven levels, but each one of those levels is broken down into a low, a medium, or a high. And so a high one is lower than a low two. And so it's a mm-hmm. it's a progressive. Um, so it's it's you know low one, medium one, high one, low two, medium two, high two, so on all the way up through seven. 
And so that was a traditional way that, that Tritronics did their stimulation. But mm-hmm. it's really, if, if you look at an alpha, you have those two choices, and you can still do that low, medium, and high with the alpha, or you can set it in the linear mode, which gives you 18 levels. And so it, it's based the, the the alpha is based off of an old six level um, setup that that Tronics was using okay. before Garmin bought them. And oh, so it's it really like a, yeah, so it's like riding a bicycle, and you've got the chain ring in the front, and then you've got the the ones in the back. So yes. you're kind of doing. Uh, and now I just got a new mountain bike, and now they just got one. They they changed the design, so they just have the one ring in the front. You only have to worry about shifting gears in the back. Okay. And how about momentary stimulation versus continuous stimulation? So momentary stimulation is a pre-measured fraction of a second. It doesn't matter how long you hold the button down. You press the button. You can press the button and hold it down, but the stimulation is going to cut on and cut off before you actually even release the button. So so momentary is pre-measured, where continuous stimulation means that uh, as long as you're holding the button down, the stimulation is staying on. And so uh, a lot of it depends on what you're doing. Um, now, so folks understand that on continuous stimulation, every system has a cutoff. And so, uh, so like the system that I use has about an eight-second cutoff. Um, so if you hold the button down up to eight seconds, it, it'll, you know, it's going to cut off at the eight-second point. Um, a lot of it depends on what you're doing as to whether or not momentary is right for you or continuous is right for you. Um, I personally use, I, I really only use continuous stimulation. Um, now, I use a lot of continuous stimulation in a momentary fashion in that I'll press and release the button and the stimulation will cut on and cut off, but I want to control the timing. Um, a lot of folks, especially folks, um, and there are a lot of people that use momentary, um, not this, uh, I can say this and it'll sound, it'll sound like, like only the people that use momentary are new people. That's, that's not even close to true. Um, an enormous <laughs> number of people use, use momentary. And Robin, Robin's method is a lot of, of momentary. She does a lot of what she calls tapping, where she uh-huh. will she'll press and press and press and press and press. Um, so it's, uh-huh. uh, it's, it's momentary, 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 momentary. Where, uh-huh. um, and so, so it's a difference in technique. Um, a lot of folks that are new to using training collars like to use momentary because the chances of overstimulating a dog are less, and, and timing is a real key factor with a training collar. Um, it's very important with a dog that you make that stimulation at the at the right time. Dogs have a very short attention span, and you know if a dog does something and then five seconds later you try to correct them for it, they're not going to know what you you know they they they're just in the moment. They're going to have no idea what you're talking about. And so timing is a really big thing. So momentary can help folks from a timing standpoint because it it you know it's going to stem and cut off. And so yeah, it's really it's, just technique. Yeah, it's a real you know it's a relatively new person. It, 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 that's exactly yeah. my thought process is like I don't want to overdo it. So if I just start with momentary, then I won't you know overstimulate exactly. my dog if I'm yeah. uncoordinated. Um, now, there's, also about, some other, yep. there's also some other sides to it where, mm-hmm. um, you know, I was talking about a continuous having an eight-second cutoff. Um, as a general rule, if you're, you know, if you're using that stimulation level to the point where it's cutting off, you're probably either, A, not using the right stimulation level, or, B, the dog doesn't understand what you're wanting to do. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, so there's, there's other sides to it. Um, and it really just it gives you some variability in how you do certain things. Um, but mm-hmm. definitely, there, there's no question that momentary for a lot of folks makes them, you know, it it it, it helps them with the timing, 
And so that that's an important you know, it's an important part of it. Um and, I, I just come from a little different the first system that I started on didn't have momentary. Momentary was one of those things that, that came along later. And uh, mm-hmm. so I grew up doing it a certain way and, and just really haven't changed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, I, I see my this collar, the one I've got, has a tone mode and even a vibration yeah. mode. So, you know, and I'd always kind of thought of an e-collar, okay, you're correcting something or you know, sending a signal, but I realized that you could actually use somebody – um, something I read, you could actually use that tone mode kind of like a positive thing if you wanted to. Sure. So, well, you can actually use well, I completely. Um, you can you can do some positive things with it. You can do some commands with it, um, mm-hmm. and, and you can use stimulation in a positive way. Um, you mm-hmm. know, it is one of those things that 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 a lot of folks kind of focus on. Well, we're going to punish this dog for doing what's wrong. We'd rather teach the dog to do what's right. And, and use the training collar to actually teach the do what's right part. And so uh, so that that's a big factor with it. Um, most of the systems that are out nowadays have, um, used to be it was either tone or vibration. We're seeing a lot of systems nowadays that have both. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's a non, you know, it's a non-electrical stimulation and neither one of them means anything to the dog. Um, a lot of folks come into it thinking that 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 sound's going to mean something or a vibration's going to make the dog do something. They really don't. You have to you have to to teach the dog. Okay, when you hear this, when you feel this, then I want you to do this. Um, and and you kind of have to think about it a little bit up front. Um, I use tone uh, strictly as a recall. Um, I want my dogs to come to me when they hear that sound. Um, my dogs are. Um, I, I I mainly run um, uh, walking. Uh, what's called a, a shooting dog. It's a it's a range thing. My dogs typically are between 200 and 500 yards away from me the majority of the time. And mm-hmm. so um, you know, and we 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 hunt in a lot of places. It's real windy, and it's hard for them to hear me at that distance sometimes. So I teach a recall. You know, using the tone sound because you know it's going to be right there at their ear. They can hear it. And so I use I use tone in that fashion, uh, but you're really not limited as to what you can, you know, what you can teach them. Um, I know a lot of folks will either use it as a, um, a lot of folks will still use it as a precursor to stimulation. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not a big fan of that, um, especially tone. Um, the problem with tone as a warning, um, I find people do two things. Well, there's there's two real bad sides to using tone as a warning as far as a precursor to either you stop doing that or I'm going to, you know, you're going to get a correction. Um, people have a tendency to nag their dogs where, you know, they're, they're constantly toning them and the dogs, you know, he understands he's not supposed to do it, but he's still doing it and he hasn't gotten a correction. It's kind of like the, 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 you know, when you, it's a little bit like disciplining your kids, you know, where they understand, you know, if, if on the third or fourth time you really mean it, you know, you're better off if they understand on the first time you really mean it. And so mm-hmm. I don't like to use tone in a, in a you know, if you don't stop that, I'm going to correct you. You know, I'd rather just go ahead and correct them. A lot of folks, you know, want to give the dog a warning. Well, I give my dogs warnings. They're called commands. And so, mm-hmm. you know, so he has that opportunity to, to, to stop what he's doing. I'm going to give him a verbal opportunity. If he doesn't and he's trained not to do something and he needs a correction, then we're going to give him a correction. We're not going to give him a, a, an additional warning. 
Um, the main reason, though, that I don't like to use tone in a warning fashion is that the world that we live in, everything beeps. And so mm-hmm. I don't like paranoid dogs. And so tone can become one of those things where the dog's in the kitchen and the microwave goes off and the dog thinks he's doing something wrong, he's about to get shocked, and he doesn't know why. And so, you know, my car, everything in my car makes sound, and my cell phone makes sound, and my TV makes sound, and the toaster, you know, there's just everything. And so I, you know, so I, I caution folks strongly about, about using tone in, in that type of fashion. You know, with the way I use tone, if a dog hears a tone, he's not sure what to do, he comes to me. Well, there's seldom that's you know that's seldom a problem so you so, start uh, with the the tone for teaching recall from as soon as you start using the e-collar on your dog yeah it's a, <laughs> well you, you can and you can actually you could actually overlay it before you start using the training collar if you want to um, it's just mm-hmm. an overlay you know in the same way that mm-hmm. i'm going to teach the dog verbal um we actually use you know i actually use stimulation to teach you know to teach the recall so I'm going to use stimulation, and I'm going to use a verbal. And then once the dog understands the stimulation that means come to me, and once he understands that the verbal means come to me, then I'll just overlay the tone in the same way. Mm-hmm. And so it's a okay. it's a command: make the tone sound. The dog comes to me. Um, okay. You know, and it's it, it's not a it's not a con- same just like I said, it's just the same way you teach him any other command. It's repetition. Mm-hmm. So how would you let's say that somebody says, okay, I got my puppy, and I've got this e-collar, how do I get started teaching a recall to my dog? Cause well, we don't, you know, recall is one of the things that I'll teach, but I don't teach it first. Um, okay. We, uh, our, our video series, we actually teach the dog to go with you first. Mm-hmm. And so the Robin teaches them to, to it, it's strictly a, you know, come with me, not, not come mm-hmm. to me, but come with right. me. So that way we can walk together you know, calmly and we'll change directions and we'll use the stimulation and we'll, we'll, you know, we'll lead the dog, you know, with us, which is not a hard thing to do to get him to go in the right direction with you. Mm-hmm. Typically done on a leash. Um, the next thing that, that we teach in that series is a place command. And then mm-hmm. after those two things are done, then we start to teach the recall. Um, okay. And, you know, recall is pretty simple from a, it's a long line and it's teaching the dog, that, you know, when they feel the stimulation and the, you know, so it's a, it's a, I'm going to, I'm going to have you out on this long line and I'm going to start bringing you to me and I'm going to use stimulation, you know, a, as you're coming to me. And then once mm-hmm. I get the dog coming to me, then we'll overlay a verbal command on that. Um, okay. But it's usually, for me, it's the third or fourth thing that I teach. Um, mm-hmm. The first thing that, that I generally teach, well, the, it's more important for me to teach a dog to stop than it is to teach a dog to come to me. And mm-hmm. so, uh, so we use uh, we use uh, we actually use a collar on the dog's belly. Um, it's a different huh. point of contact. It's a it's a Rick and Ronnie Smith technique where we we teach the dog when they feel pressure on their on their waist to uh, to stop. And so mm-hmm. uh, so I teach that, and after we've taught that, then we teach the recall. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, I mean, you talked about sending your dog to go to place, and yes. and that's a really useful thing i guess not yeah. only to get your dog out from underfoot but um you know, if you have a dog that goes crazy when people come to the door well if you teach it to go to its place it can bark all that it wants there but it won't intimidate yeah. somebody at the door um, i think most so, folks if they could teach a place command they would have a you know place command is probably one of the most important things for a house dog so, yeah you know it allows them to, to get out of the way and to have a safe spot to go to and uh it's great for so many situations um yeah we those things. we we pra- we're practicing it at every meal time. <laughs> you yeah. have to go to your place. That's a great way to do it. Yeah. 
Um, so can you use, do you ever use your e-collar indoors or do you uh, oh, yeah. pretty much use it only outdoors? Okay. No, no, no. We use them via indoors and outdoors. No reason not to. They work just fine in both. You and, will, you know, your range will get cut down inside, um, but not, you know, nothing that, that, that will, uh, it's a radio signal. They'll act, it'll actually go through walls and, you know, just like any other radio okay. signal, but, uh, mm-hmm. but, you know, but your range will be cut down. But, but, as, you know, as a general rule, I don't recommend that you correct a dog if you can't see. So range is usually not a big issue. And what about, you know, it's a, I've been fortunate. I haven't had a problem with my dogs, but sometimes people have dogs that they said they're reactive or they're aggressive or, you know, they will lunge and bark, you know, when you're on a leash sure. at another dog. Can an e-collar help with that or would the stimulation upset and aggravate a dog that's already aggressive and well, makes things worse? I generally wouldn't recommend that you would put a dog in that situation and then use a collar to try and correct it. Um, mm-hmm. Some people can. It's a pretty advanced, you know, technique, and I'm not going to. I'm not saying it can't be done. It's just not what I would recommend for most folks. Um, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll back it up some though. If you've got that dog that's reactive and and he's a little out of control, and and you're trying to establish control, that's where the training collar comes in, and where mm-hmm. you need to back up and you need to teach this dog how to behave on the leash, um, mm-hmm. because generally you, you've got that situation. Um, Aggression is one of those things that you have to be careful about with a training collar. Um, and as a general rule, I'm going to recommend that you have a professional help you with that. Mm-hmm. But stepping and, back from, there are mm-hmm. a lot of dogs that, that are dog reactive, but they're also out of control in that they don't know how to walk on a leash. They don't know, you know, they don't know their basic commands. And you're taking him out and he's dragging you around. And now he's, you know, he's, he's jumping other dogs and, and wanting to go toward other dogs. Um, and there's a different level too between you know between dog aggression and and a dog you know being out of control and wanting to go play with another dog. Um, mm-hmm. So, but training collars can help with all of that from the standpoint of just basic training. Um, most dogs aren't trained, you know, and so mm-hmm. you know, it, it's one of those things that uh, um, a lot of that comes from you know lack of training, and a lot of it comes from lack of exercise, and a lot of the lack of exercise comes from the lack of being able to enjoy the dog and being able to, to go out in public with the dog and do things. And that's where the training comes in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, you know, I mentioned the video that your company sells about by Robin McFarlane, but um, there's a lot of other resources out there. Do you have any recommendations for somebody, um, you know, I mean, that uh, – they're looking for help any particular resources you would recommend we've got you know one of the reasons why we developed that video with robin is because there's not quite as much there's more stuff out there that's in the hunting market than is actually just in the general pet market Um, and that was one of the reasons why uh, we actually started working with robin Um, we've got an enormous amount of resources on our website Um, from a hunting standpoint um, we've got we've got several you know in that uh, you know bird dogs and Retrievers mainly. Um, we have a, an enormous amount of Tom Dawkins got a really good series. Uh, Rick and Ronnie Smith have a really good series. We sell a, a line called Perfection Kennels um, mm-hmm. that, that has a, a great series. So, so there's several different things out there. There's there's not as much in the pet world as I would like to see um, personally. Mm-hmm. So, so I guess that's a, that's an opening for somebody somewhere. Maybe somebody there's, listening. And there's some stuff. There is some stuff out there. Um, there's a lot of canine stuff out there. Um, a lot mm-hmm. of uh, there's an enormous amount of that. Not really an area that we specialize in, but there's an enormous amount of uh, of, uh, of protection dog type work. Um, 
Okay. So there's, there are uh, a lot of resources out there. Yeah. And, you know, I, I try to tell folks, you know, we, we tend to push the stuff that we like and, and what we do. Um, there's a lot of different ways to do it. And there's an enormous amount of, uh, there's a lot of stuff on YouTube. There's a lot of stuff on Facebook. Um, some of it I agree with, some of it I don't, but you just kind of have to go out there and, and see it and, and find what works for you. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I guess the best thing is to network with people who um, have done this before and have dogs whose behavior you like and listen to sure. what they say. Um, and, you know, I just recently purchased the Garmin Alpha because it functions as an e-collar as well as a dog GPS tracking device. Um, and my new puppy is small, so she's too small for my old Garmin Astro, and I think I'm just too klutzy to juggle an e-collar and a GPS tracker at the same time. So um, as far as dog GPS tracking devices, is Garmin the only one who makes those, or are there others out there? There's three major companies that are making them right now. Um, Garmin is, is... is in the forefront for it. Uh, radio Systems, Sport Dog, uh, mm-hmm. they have a, a thing uh, called uh, the Tech Series, which is similar in concept to what Garmin has as far as uh, GPS and training collars. Um, and then Dogtra just came out with a system called the Pathfinder, um, which is a little different. Um, it actually uses your cell phone mm-hmm. as the interface. Um, it, it works off of similar radio sig- signal setup. It, it, it's a MERS-based radio signal, just like the Astro, the Alpha. Um, and you have a, a handheld device that is a is uh, communicating with the collar, and then that device Bluetooths to your uh, cell phone. So, mm-hmm. uh, so that's another new sort of new. They've been that just this year. Um, we, we've had those. Um, so that's a that's an alternative. So right now we've got three big companies that are doing it. And, Several smaller companies that are working on some stuff. Mm-hmm. So it's a and pretty big market, a lot of growth. Yeah. So what about um, you know probably search and rescue people? Most of them don't work more than you know a couple dogs at a time. But sure. the hunters I know often have more than that. So how many dogs could you track with one device? Uh, an Astro will track up to twenty. Wow. Yeah. Oh, you got wait. You got twenty two. You can't get them all out there at the same time, right? No, no. I, I try to do that. I get about three or four. Yeah. If I turn out three or four at one time, that's about all I want. Yeah, and but, um, uh, but yeah, we've got some guys that do run. You know, they'll run. You know, up to twenty dogs. Um, it's <laughs> it's uh, several several uh, types of hunting. Uh, you know, folks mm-hmm. running large packs. Yeah, and how far and you, away can a dog be, and you and you could still track the dog? You know, let's say under you know, typical conditions. That's a, that's a, well, that's a tricky range with with all of the GPS stuff is a is a tricky thing to nail down because there are a lot of factors that come into it. Um, the Astro, the Alpha is listed as a as a nine mile system, um, but there are not many situations where you're going to get that kind of range out of it. Um, mm-hmm. I, I've about six and a half, seven miles is about the most I've ever gotten out of the system. And that was in a very controlled sort of atmosphere. Um, and so, uh, you know, a lot of it depends on where you are. Um, it's it's a line of sight based system, which means, you know, the maximum range is going to be when you have a line of sight with the dog. Um, typically for me with just a regular setup, so that's no extended antennas, no car top antennas, anything like that. Uh, in most of the places where I am, I'm going to get a mile to a mile and a half um, very easily. 
um, as long as there's not a lot of dirt between me and the dog. Mm-hmm. Um, so for most people, most people with that system range is really not an issue, um, you know, because, you know, most of us don't want our dogs that far away from us. One of my dogs is a mile and a half away from me. He's lost, and I'm going to get him. Yeah, exactly. So, yes, um, yes, that's really not an issue. Now, what's really cool about the GPS systems, um, where this is to me is, is probably the best thing about them, when that dog gets out of range, the system actually will it'll notify you. It'll say we've lost contact with the dog. There also marks on the map where the dog was when you lost the signal. Okay, so you know where to head. Exactly, yeah. and so that you know, so would you run into a situation like that? Um, in the search and rescue world, um, you know, typically your dogs aren't going to be that far away from you. But what can happen, and I, I've, I've had this happen, and, and uh, I've had customers have had this happen to them, where a dog gets into a situation where he loses GPS contact um, mm-hmm. in that he goes into a pipe, he falls in a hole. You know, he gets into a spot yeah. where, he, where he, I cannot get that GPS signal. Um, same thing there. unit's going to say, hey, we've, we've lost him, but here's where he was when we lost him. And so that that's a real handy device, especially if you have a dog that uh, you know something happens to them and they get they get in a situation where uh, where they don't have a view of the sky anymore and they can't pick up the satellites. Mm-hmm. And what what is uh, bark detection? I saw that that um, picture. That's designed for some of the from some of the hound um, folks. Mm-hmm. Basically, it's a, it's a microphone that's on the system. You have dogs that bay um, when mm-hmm. they you know they, when they've got their game. Uh, locked up, they'll bay, and so that's typically what's used there. In the same way that uh, that uh, I, I'm a pointing dog guy, and so when my dogs go on point, the uh, alpha will tell me that the dog stopped, and that means he's on point. Um, when a dog bays with, with a alpha, it'll do the same thing, and that it'll it'll indicate, you know, it'll give you an indication that the dog is now baying. And um, I didn't realize until I took it out of the box that it has a touch screen, so. Yes. Um, am I going to have to take my mittens off in the winter? To... Um, it depends on what kind of mittens you have. <laughs> okay. um, the, the, the screen on the, on the alpha is not, um, it doesn't require uh, certain, there, there's different kinds of touch screens. And some of them require a bare finger, you know, you have to have a bare finger <laughs> um, where some are glove use. And the, the alpha is glove based. And so okay. uh, the biggest issue is if you have really big, thick gloves, you may have a hard time, you know, hitting the, hitting right, the right spot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I did try. Um, I, I knew that I had to get a screen protector because otherwise yeah. I'm going to end up scratching it. And I, I put one on. I was surprised that it actually works fine because um, yes. I saw some people had written reviews where it, it was slow to respond, but only for the first day. Once it kind of really bonded on yep. there, it, it's worked fine. So Some of that is we're used to it being this way and now it's this way where folks have used mm-hmm. it without the screen protector and then they went to it. Cause it is a slightly different feel. It requires a little bit more pressure depending on yeah. the screen protector. Um, mm-hmm. But, but they work, they work great with them and I do recommend them. Yeah. Because had- my other, my other Garmin, which is a Garmin 62, which is I, yeah. what I use just for hiking, camping, geocaching that um, I put a screen protector on there because I actually, my friends had cases for theirs, and I had the case, but it reflected too much. I couldn't couldn't see the screen, so the screen protector works a lot better. Yeah, um, it's one of those things that uh, there's a lot of different ways to use them and carry them, and what folks like and what folks what folks don't. Um, mm-hmm. and, and some of it too depends on how hard you are on them. I'm, I'm pretty hard on most of my gear, so I have to I have to kind of protect it uh, from myself. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I that's have one. 
I have to have it connected to me or I'm going to lose it. <laughs> yeah. Although, now, I recommend actually, that. Well, I recommend that for everybody. Um, you need to be <laughs> really careful about that. Now, one thing that the that the alpha does, and I don't know if you've seen this yet, but the alpha will actually allow you to track other alphas. Okay. And so if you have other search and rescue folks that are in the same area and you want to keep up with where they are, you can actually set it up where you can track them and they can track you. Yeah, that would make sense. Yeah, yeah I didn't realize that. Well, the, the, the real handy part about it is if you have it set up and you do lose your handheld, you know, your your other you know, the other person with the alpha will be able to help you find your handheld. Mm-hmm. So, uh, of course, so hopefully their dog, thing. hopefully somebody will have an article dog that can find it. Sure. Because <laughs> that, that did happen. Very uh, handy, one, yes. I, yeah. I have a, a buddy of mine who's a canine trainer, and uh, that's a pretty handy thing to have around. You can uh, did, find all the cool things. Because we did have that uh, during a training situation once somebody lost their GPS, but, you know, we knew where we'd been, and, and um, the next day, one of the people on my team went back and their dog uh, found it. And, you know, I never, the dog I have now, my older dog is the first search and rescue dog I trained. So I didn't realize to train him to do a specific indication when he finds an article, but I can tell from his body language. So at one seminar I was at, they said, if you can find uh, two articles in this field, and it, it must've been a 40, 50 acre field, you get a free lunch, so we found the two socks that were hidden in there in the grass. Um, and the other comment I'll make is now that I've got to play with a little bit is if you're used to using a Garmin handheld device, the setting up the GPS stuff is is really pretty similar, so it's um, not too hard. And also, I actually there was a couple things I wasn't sure how to do, so I called up Garmin, and what was really nice is I mentioned how. When I sent my other GPS in when, early on when I had it, it uh, stopped working and I had to send in for repairs and I forgot to take off that uh, carabiner clip. And uh, so, of course, I didn't get it back because you're supposed to take everything off because they probably didn't send me the same unit. They probably sent me a different one that they'd refurbished. Um, but then the guy from Garmin, he sent me two carabiner clips, one for the, my old one and one for my new one. So I'm good there. Right. Um, and th- another thing I saw listed was Basecamp connectivity. What's yes. that and how does it work? Well, Basecamp allows you to download information from the handheld. It's, it's a mapping software, really. Mm-hmm. And so um, it's pretty complex, and, and I'm not at a, what I would call an advanced user at all. But, uh, but what it allows you to do is, is take the information off of your handheld and download it to your computer, and then you can interact with it. And you can mm-hmm. do all sorts of things, but you can you can see where your dog's been, you can see where you've been, you can all your waypoints can be saved on there. Um, okay. What's really handy about it is that you can transfer information to other devices. And so, if mm-hmm. you have information on one of your other handhelds and you want to put it on your on your Alpha handheld, Basecamp's kind of the way to do that. That's kind of what and I do now for geocaching and sure. sending stuff back and forth. Yeah. Okay. So, really, doesn't have. Um, you know, it's more of a it's more of a Garmin GPS thing than, than, than really not as much of a dog training thing. Now, one mm-hmm. thing that we do have some some dog trainers that are, are are doing is that they're using they're using Basecamp to evaluate how their dogs are performing in the field. And mm-hmm. so you can you know you can learn a lot. I've I've seen a lot of situations of 
of things where I knew the dog was doing certain things when he was away from me because my dogs are away from me a good bit. I, I, I don't I can't always see what they're doing. But mm-hmm. with uh, with Alpha, I'm able actually to see how they do things. It's interesting. You can learn a lot by by watching, you know, by watching yeah. what the dogs do. They're not around. Because there's a then, pro- program a lot of people use, but I don't use it because I have a Mac and it's Windows only. It's called Terrain Navigator, and it's also pretty expensive. But a lot of people will, you know, send their information from their GPS. A lot of search and rescue um, people will use that to. Um, Especially the ones that are search managers and they're setting up an area and you know sending in the information of where your boundary is going to be. So, all right. You is there anything else? Things. Anything I forgot um, to ask? <laughs> I don't think so. I mean, it's a it's a really neat. Um, I mean, we've we've had the, the dog tracking. The GPS has been around for about a decade now, and so uh, so it's it's still kind of on the on the new edge for us. I'll be interested to see where it where it goes from here. Um, we just added; um, they have now some uh, some car units that will mm-hmm. communicate with your handhelds. So you can actually see your dogs on the on the car units for for the guys that are running, you know, bigger running dogs. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm using the uh, the Phoenix uh, watches now. Uh, mm-hmm. I have connectivity between, and I can actually. I was out running dogs today, and I never used my handheld. Uh, my handheld okay. was in my pocket the whole time, and I was using my watch to see where my dogs were. Okay. And so there's a, a lot of cool things that are coming, and it's just interesting to watch the technology and, and see how it, it just allows us to interact with the dogs. Okay. okay, well, thanks for talking. Um, and I'm now going to hit the button that ends the recording. Hopefully it'll work. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club! Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.